The Africa Business of Sport podcast has been growing from strength to strength since August 2022. Over the months, we've been privileged to have exceptional guests from the world of sports sharing their insights, experiences, and advice. To continue to attract high-level guests to the pod, we kindly ask for you to rate this podcast as this will enable us to increase our traction on all podcast platforms. We do appreciate the time taken to do this. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the episode. and my lovely co-host Sean Osimbo. This is a continuation of our hashtag women's sports dev series where we really put the spotlight on all the amazing women out there doing an exceptional job within the women's sports space and pushing it and all the women out there who believe in the true development of sports for both boys and girls because in order for us to move forward we need to put our hands together and be a part of the journey together. Sean, who do we have for our audience today? Uh, we have someone special, someone who has been at the face, uh, as you say, of you know women's sports, one of the faces, and I can't wait to introduce her. But before we get down to introducing her, we just need to know a bit of the background where popularity has been growing with the women's sports, sporting events across the world, from soccer to basketball to athletics uh, to tennis, esports, etc. You name it. Women in sports are slowly being recognized while in their element. This has resulted into higher ratings, more interest from sponsors, increased prize winnings, and also definitely greater media coverage. That's why we are even talking about women's sports right now. One country that is enjoying the benefits of investing in women's sports is the United States. Their women's soccer team are the current world champions thanks to their you know, working system and to the great men and women who are you know, working behind the scenes to make sure there's equality, inclusivity. So welcome uh, to the show, to our podcast, Dr. Fontes Comba, an award-winning and history-making when it comes to women's football. She was the first female of color to, to, be in, to be first in charge of a professional soccer franchise in the United States. She has been hailed for transforming DC United women um, into the NWSL's Washington spirit, creating infrastructure and and revenue streams for sustainability ability in just three years. And that's why we are here to celebrate her today, to hear her story. And we are hoping everyone who's listening is going to learn a thing or two from the great Ashley. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Um, we are very humbled to have you on here. How are you and how's everything on your side? Well, thank you very much. So, uh, so fortunate to be here. Really appreciate all the work that you guys are doing with putting spotlights on this amazing growing game that we're having. Like the gates are open. Women are are being allowed to prosper now and, and taking advantage of opportunities. So, so I'm doing great. And uh, I'm really happy to be here with you all. Who's Ashley and just describe your journey in the world of sports. Sure. So uh, I am an architect, an ambassador, an advocate of the women's game. 
Um, my journey's taken me from being a player to a coach to an executive to a board member. Um, as a kid, I played competitively in the United States and went on to earn a scholarship to play at one of the top universities in the United States, which is Florida State University, which, I mean, they've done an incredible job with that program from start to, to finish now, um, becoming its own dynasty. As a coach, I've developed elite players and continue to do so, assist them in getting recruited to play at universities in the United States, as well as create domestic and international national team opportunities for them as well. Um, as an executive, like you mentioned, I assisted in leading DC United Women as a director of operations, and I helped create and lead the transition to Washington Spirit as a founding member of the NWSL. Um, I had the, I mean, it was a great pleasure and honor to, to lead the spirit and providing an oversight on the, the technical side and driving the internal operations and business development. Again, like you said, to ultimately lead, you know, that franchise into building a, a championship contending franchise, profitability, sold out crowds and a robust youth academy. Now I'm actually in my sixth year representing coaches around the world as a board member of United Soccer Coaches, and I just finished up my, my presidential term. And, you know, aside from that, I continue to advise businesses, coaches, and develop and invest in the women's game through my consulting company, Nacal Management. So I think that's a, the roundabout short mm -hmm. version of the, the journey and the, the career, but it's, it's been exciting. It's, it's been a blessing, and uh, I welcome every opportunity. And you know, right now the world has shifted to uh, talking and investing in women's sports. We've seen what um, recent years have done for uh, especially the soccer game. So talk to us about any differences that you've seen in the women's, women's sports world from when you joined and at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think we can sum it up in really like three short words, opportunity, acceptance, and accountability. Um, evolution takes time. You know, and when you look at the the institution of sports across the world, um, and then just the gender biases across the world, you know, for for centuries, you know, women unfortunately have had to wait their turn. But I think as we've been waiting, we've been learning and observing and and understanding what we want to do uh, when we have the opportunities to make a difference. Um, like I said earlier, the the gates are are starting to become unlocked. Um, we're walking through them. We've been walking through them. I mean, people have been working behind the scenes for, for decades and we just haven't seen a lot of that work. Um, but now you can, you can see it reflected in the outcomes that we have today with just the, the pure opportunity or even like, like coverage that we're like, you guys doing this coverage spotlights on, on women, like we're getting more and more attention, which is so important for, you know, to give due justice and credit for the people that have put in the time behind the scenes for, for decades before us so we can be talking right now and then hopefully inspiring and encouraging these next uh, generations of emerging leaders. And uh, when we talk about everything that happens in the United, what is happening currently in the United States with the game, that is a soccer game, it's one of the conversations we've also had Adam, with Adam and other guests, how it is just beautiful to see 
the support that women's soccer, women's sports is being given when it comes to the United States, seeing, you know, fathers going to the stadiums with their daughters, going to cheer their daughters, taking them to the training sessions. I think the United States has set a platform for so many countries to actually learn from. And it's 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 one of the exciting things to, to see down there. Just talk to us, your experience. I, I know you've talked about the differences here and then, but talk to us just that sudden rise that has happened, especially when it comes to women's soccer in the United States. Like you said, it's, I think the, I think you nailed it with, you know, the dads taking their daughters to games, like before generationally, especially in the United States, it's, you know, it's the NFL, it's the NBA, it's the MLB that have been institutionalized where these fathers and grandfathers have gotten to enjoy those, those settings with taking their, their boys to the games. And it's, you know, the, the girls, the daughters usually stay at home. Well, now the dads are like, wait, hold on my daughter can be this. We almost needed to create it so the dad could see it to believe it and believe their daughter can do it. And now the daughters are, you know, have, have great support systems at home. Um, so I think that's one evolution that has been absolutely incredible. And it's, it's something that, that you love seeing every time you do go out to an event or even when the world cup or some of the, or she believes is playing on TV and you're out at a restaurant and it's on in a restaurant. And the dads and the moms are out there with their kids at the restaurant watching this game. So I think, again, it's been a long time coming. So it's just that that slow rolling boulder that we've been trying to, to push up the hill, the mountain. Um, and it finally, you know, with all these other societal movements like the Me Too movement, the, the See Her Be Her movement, the, the She Believes, like everything like that is it's been working for a while and now just getting to the top and scratching the surface surface of what this phenomenon can actually be and people are embracing it society's embracing it and it's it's fantastic yeah and i have to bring adam into the conversation where um actually i will take some of your words and say you know so it's time it's in the United States, the society had to embrace it. And it's one of those things we would love to see here in Africa, Adam, just society embracing, you know, father-daughter games, uh, not just father-daughter games, but even the whole family just, you know, supporting when it comes to uh, women's sports. I think the most fundamental thing for Africa, first of all, is being educated in the importance of having women being a part of sports. For a very long time, the stereotype has been that a girl's place is in the kitchen or to be a mom, to not really pursue the things that the boys do. But we've come to understand that, in fact, I've always known for a very young age, I used to ask myself, why aren't there a lot of girls in sports? And it was only up until the point that I grew up that I realized that there were so many existing stereotypes and barriers being a part of mm-hmm. our society and our culture that were preventing girls who, who even love the game to pursue the game because at the end of the day, if your parents do not support you, there are really no systems ahead or pathway for you to become a professional unless you're purely relentlessly tenacious and you would fight the status quo. But the culture here in Africa is majority of our girls do not fight the status quo. So one thing that can break that is education. And education mm-hmm. in so many forms where the content that we listen to on the radio, the content that we watch on the TV, podcasts like these where we're putting spotlight. Just to give you um, a bit of information on how successful this series is, our first episode came out exactly two weeks and I think three or four days ago, and it's already in our top 10 episodes, right? It's literally already in our top 10. That really shows you 
how important, especially in the year that we're in right now. And for us, we're not just doing it because of the buzz or because of the thought of, you know, wanting to be a part of all the conversations. We genuinely feel as though that we love the game. We believe women should be in the game. Here in Africa, that education is crucial. And I really hope that this podcast goes a long way to open the eyes, the minds, and the perception of the African parents here to let their daughters really enter sports and let them flap their wings. And I know you're speaking of education, Adam, and um, one thing we have learned, you know, uh, education can be received in so many ways. Um, We can have leaders who are, you know, mentoring the young ones. And one thing we have noticed and we are trying to encourage our audience is women filling up those top leadership positions because once you have people who look like you in those positions, then you get to understand. It's easier for women leaders to speak to young girls and they get to understand, they get to embrace it, they get to you know, quickly also see them in such positions. And Ashley, you have been at the forefront of breaking barriers and everything as you rose to the top. Um, I know you just said you finished your tenure as the president of the United States uh, Soccer Coaches Association. I, we all want to hear about it. I know Adam is very curious to hear about it. Also, um, uh, talk to us, what did it entail and how how did you get to to actually to that position sure um yeah like you said uh just finished up my presidential term it's it's actually a six-year term on being on the board the membership votes for it uh so they elected me to be part of the board in 2018 um and then you ascend each year as vice president until you hit your presidential term and then you serve your final year as the immediate past president. Um, so just so everyone knows, United Soccer Coaches is the home of all coaches. It's the largest soccer coaches association in the world. We look to provide programs and services that enhance and contribute to and advocate for the development and recognition of soccer coaches and players and the game ultimately. So we try to accomplish that by being the trusted and unifying voice advocate and partner for the development of coaches at all levels of the game. So we're looking at like, when you talk about opportunities for women, it's like, we can't just look at one little segment, right? You look at everything. So we're looking at the rec coach. How do we support, how do we support that parent coach that's working with the little four or five-year-olds, right? How do we support that professional coach? What, what are these, these things everyone's going through that they need additional help or advocacy with? Because ultimately kids and players, they don't quit the game because of the game. They quit because of the coach, right? Because they've had some kind of experience, poor experience with the coach, the environment, the situation. So as the coach, we have a massive responsibility and obligation to understand that they're not playing because of me. They're playing because of this game. So how do we help them? How do we help our coaches be better coaches understand that? So as president, it's ultimately my responsibility to lead the strategic direction of United Soccer Coaches, along with the board of directors. And then each president's going to have their their own specific focus, and it might be slightly different. Different. So for me, when I came in, uh, we had a major CEO transition at the start of my term. So a large part of my focus was ensuring a smooth transition and setting our CEO for, up for success. Um, I also focused on, which I believe is so incredibly important, no matter what you're doing, especially when you're trying to advance the game or development, 
It's uh, I focus on expanding and strengthening our external relationships with other stakeholders in the game. So it's, you know, being at the right events, attending, participating, speaking, you know, um, making sure you're, you're being seen and heard in a voice so people know that we're there, you know, as United Soccer Coaches, know that we're there for them, and then make sure they have the knowledge of understanding how to, how they can get involved and how, even more important, how we can help them. And then the second large piece was improving our cohesion within the board which is always important. If you don't have great internal processes, nothing's actually going to kind of come to fruition. And then also worked on our cohesion with the association. I was really passionate about ensuring that we incorporate diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging exercises, exposure, and immersion opportunities each time that we met specifically in person as a board so we can learn and better be better at incorporating those DEIB initiatives, strategies throughout our everyday thought processes and decision-making. So, I mean, ultimately it was an exceptional term. I enjoyed it, um, but that's only because of the exceptional membership we have, the national staff, the CEO and the, the board of directors. So it was great. It's a great organization. Saying this is the true definition of when systems are working. Right, right. Like people actually... I was surprised when she was given the breakdown that people actually have the opportunity to take turns and play the role and do everything. For me, one thing I want to ask is how often does a female get to that position and how can we bring mm. even more females coming through? Because there's one thing for a man to plan a structure for a, a female sport, but it's another thing having a female who has played a sport before or who understands sport business and sports mm -hmm. um, activities on the pitch to be a part of the decision-making where the overall experience of a female is taken into consideration at every point in time. I say this because I read a couple of weeks ago um, an article that was on, focused on the attire that women tend to wear for netball in Australia anytime they're competing. And there are so many times that they came and complained of comfort of what they're wearing and how it makes them feel. Like you were saying, some people stop the sport because of their coaches. Others stop the sport because of the attire. You know, it may not be fitting with their religion or may not be fitting with how they see their bodies. And then over time, when they had more women being in those places and leading those conversations, they started giving women the flexibility and the space to bring out innovative wear that can make them very comfortable with the sport. Mm -hmm. And these are the kind of initiatives that a woman is better placed to bring in compared to a man. So how often does um, a woman get to run that role? And what are some of the measures that can enable them to come, you know, through regularly? Honestly, I think it's a team effort for, for some things. Um, one, it's, you have this dynamic of, again, I keep saying the gatekeepers, like who have been the gatekeepers in these situations and how long have they been there? Sometimes trying to convince people to open their minds and see things a little differently is very hard, especially when they've been in those roles for such a long time. And by all their, their thought processes, like things are working. So why do we need to change and, and create these opportunities? Um, I think, you know, that'll also like the answer to that also varies on the country you're in and the, and the culture and within that geographic area. I think we are 
are privileged in the sense here in the United States that that we've been working a long time on this with policies, you know, from the government standpoint, even um, equitable rights. Like there's just a lot of forces and a lot of different areas across the country working in our favor um, to be able to push organizations, people in power to open up lanes for women to be in leadership roles um, and then holding some of those systems accountable. Um, so I think that's a big piece of it because a lot of those things are are out of our control unless there's a massive social movement towards it, right? I think, you know, through my own experience hearing from others, there's also internal and external barriers. Some internal barriers for, for women is maybe because they haven't been there yet or there haven't been many before them there's this self-doubt, right? There, There's this doubt that that they might not feel that they're ready or they don't believe that they could fit that role, so why bother? Um, I truly believe that you have to dream, and I can't take the these words for my own, but this is from Ron, one of my idols, Urban Magic Johnson growing up. Um, you have to dream it to become it right? You will absolutely always face some kind of adversity, some kind of barrier, but it's up to you. It's up to us, like what we do about it. So I always think, and I always tell people, I'm like, you either need to go over it, you go around it, you go under it, or you break straight through it. There's always going to be people out there willing to help and be your ally. Don't feel like you have to go at it alone especially when we're pushing change, there are people that will support. So don't ever hesitate. You'll be surprised who actually, you know, answers the call and, and picks up the phone or responds to that email. And, you know, you, you just developed a, a new ally. So I think, you know, creating these new leadership spaces can be challenging, but we just got to keep pushing and, and put forth that effort. And I think your answer right now just actually talks about the point that I wanted to bring up and that is shying away, why women shy away from uh, leadership mm. positions. And I think that is what, uh, especially where we are, that is what is affecting because we do not have enough women in those leadership positions to, you know, guide, direct, and they end up shying away. So it's a good thing that you have talked mm. about just, you know, breaking the barriers, going through the wall, no giving up mm -hmm. and just deciding that you have to do it. So I think that level of confidence is needed when it comes to women and leadership positions. And and that also now brings me to the next question. I know you've definitely had challenges and we've talked about this on the podcast before, Adam, uh, where we women leaders have the same challenges uh, in an institution or organization are met differently when it comes to men leaders or women leaders, because sometimes women leaders will tend to um, will get to be judged harshly if they maybe don't make uh, the right decisions. Uh, maybe there will there will be more pressure put on them to deliver maybe something that maybe the men on the other side would have been given time to sort it out. So talk to us the challenges uh, that have come with some of the leader, leadership positions that you've been in, Ashley, and how you managed to overcome them and just balance everything despite the pressure, despite harshness maybe from, from other people. It's a great question because it, it does, again, because it's change or if you're, you're the first person in there, it, it takes a lot of resilience, right? It takes just that, that no quit type attitude. I was personally lucky that my mom was 
phenomenal raising me. She always told me dare to be different because I was, we were, we were usually moving, we moved around a lot and usually moving into these affluent neighborhoods. And I was the only one that looked like me. So it was, you know, you can imagine some of the comments that came or, or just trying to fit in like how that, that felt, but she always just completely empowered me and I didn't realize it. Um, to, to be myself and to embrace me and realize that I'm the only me out there. And so this, this incredible strength and and confidence she built into me has been able to carry me through everything, you know, in terms of adversity. And I think it's really important in these leadership roles and in the challenges that we face. I think for, again, for me, it's a little bit of what you touched on. It's like, okay, so if I'm the first people are either hoping that you succeed or waiting for you to fail, you know, and you just, I think yes. as an athlete, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. as an athlete, what you realize is you have to be ready at any moment in time. And mm-hmm. when it's your opportunity and you're just, you might just be waiting. Maybe you're on the bench right now. And I like, look, I am just waiting for that one minute, maybe that five minutes, maybe the 20 minutes that I'm going to get the step on that field. What am I going to do with that opportunity? I better be ready in that moment, right? And when I've stepped into things and maybe I haven't been the expert in that area, I do not hesitate to reach out to people that I know are experts. We have, it's like raising a child. It takes a village, right? It's the same thing. Like if I want to be the best I can be in this position, then I am going to stay humble and admit when I may not know certain things, but I'm certainly going to go out, form these relationships, connect with these people, say, hey, what have you done here? What was your mm-hmm. experience here? What would, and we have to do that. I think, again, you'll find a, a lot of people that are out there that are really willing to do that because ultimately we want to see these things, you know, keep pushing forward and evolve. Um, you know, I think another piece of that, so as I think the other piece is like, once you do start finding that success, you know, when you talk to, about balance, um, I think the balance is challenging and it can almost feel breaking at times, right? Um, but like I said, as, as, as an elite athlete, it, it can prepare you for that kind of lifestyle, right? So I think, you know, for me, it's more about staying centered rather than being balanced. I think it's easier to get through those challenging times mm-hmm. and more difficult not to get lost in the lifestyle or to lose sight of what's important. Right. So I'm going to mm-hmm. take you back to being a human right now. Right. It's, <laughs> it's about staying centered. For me, it's like staying centered on my values as a human, right. It's be a good person, help others, forgive myself for my mistakes and learn from them and show others that same grace, right? And never forget what is central to my being and enjoying this life, which is my family, right? All this other stuff, this great, amazing, fun stuff of creating more opportunities for for women in soccer, women in sports, players, executive emerging leaders. It's just the incredible fun and trying challenges that for me personally, I get to choose to do to embrace life, right? If we really have that one life to live, what do we want to do with it? Stay centered on those values. Enjoy this other fun stuff that we get to do that will contribute hopefully to the betterment of 
other people's lives and society. So exactly. complete. Yes. Right. So with that, I mean, and I completely acknowledge that I have these privileges and freedoms that I wholeheartedly appreciate. I never take for granted because, you know, of where I live and how I was raised and the support system I have because of that, I will always be committed to being an ally for others. So when they do face those challenging times, or if they're do if they're trying to get things off the ground, or if they need somebody to bounce ideas off of, I hope they know that there's, you know, people can reach out to me, but they can also, there's so many more people like me that are, are willing to, to help. Talk to us this evolution and success of the United States when it comes to soccer. I know we call it football on this other side of the mm-hmm. world, <laughs> but you can just talk to us about that because I think their story needs to be had. Their story needs to be told uh, and not just the players on the pitch, but also the people behind the scenes who have made sure, including the coaches who have made sure this is a success. Absolutely. Yeah, there's there are lots of different perspectives on this, you know, based on your role in the game and what generation you came from. But for me, um, even though evolution can be slow, it's happening. We're, we're living through history right now. Right. So like I mentioned before, when I was growing up, you really only knew or heard about the women's national team if you were in an intensely competitive women's soccer market. Right. And it, it still wasn't it wasn't everywhere. OK. And this is we're talking like late 90s. OK. For me. Um, so as a kid, you really had to work hard to find, to see, to learn about these potential like 20 to 30 role models playing soccer. You know, I grew up again with the NFL, the NBA, and I got a glimpse at the WNBA just before I graduated high school. Um, and then our, our first pro league here, which was WUSA, by the time I was playing at Florida State, it had emerged and folded before I graduated. So it was, again, just this quick little blip. We hadn't really found success yet, sustainable success success yet. Obviously, our, our 99ers kind of blew our minds, um, you know, selling out the the Rose Bowl with like 90 plus thousand people winning, uh, you know, and Brandy Chastain swinging her shirt around like monumental milestone moments for the game. But we couldn't figure out sustainability and access yet. Right. So I think the, the evolution is now we have access to role models and watching games for aspiring youth athletes, girls and boys and fans, men and women. It's, it's all readily, readily available. Right. So I think from the fan perspective, it's massive. We have our, our professional leagues that are, are finding their place structurally and sustainability. So we have the NWSL, which is historic now because it's it's been around since we established in 2012. First season kicked off in 2013 and we're still going. We also have, you know, um, a couple second level professional leagues on the women's side. And then you have United Soccer Leagues that has just you know, put down all the cards and saying, hey, we are going full speed ahead with building out the the women's pathway from youth to amateur to pro. Like they're going and it's they're they're taking it for storm. So 
there's a lot happening, just a lot more investment um, that we haven't had before for fans, for players. Fantastic. But then there's also the, the career opportunities, right? I'm happy that I was able to contribute to building some of these sustainable structures in the United States that are not only providing those playing opportunities we talked about, but also providing viable career pathways off the field for those emerging generation of leaders that, that just didn't exist before, right? So you went to college, you never thought that, hey, okay, so my career is going to be in women's professional sports. Well, now you can, right? That's amazing. And you're not going to take that job and then have to work three other jobs just to have that one job. Like you have a viable career pathway with, with good income. So it's, it's really, you know, it's, it pulls on the heartstrings a little to see, you know, I know people um, often get frustrated that success doesn't happen or evolution doesn't happen fast enough, but it is happening just for what I have seen in my short career so Mm. far. It, the evolution has been phenomenal. I think what is even going to make the United States better is that now we have so much more competition outside of the U.S. that it's going to keep us having to push our standards, push our, you know, like player standards, accountabilities, expertise, like everything, right? Is Which I think, again, super positive. Um, on the, the other end, which I don't think we talk about enough, with the United States is that we do really have our, our work cut out for us because our youth system has become so incredibly fragmented. We are the United States. We are all about business opportunities and generating revenue. And again, when we talked about the challenges of, of balance and staying centered, I think we've lost our, our center of, again, when it comes to youth system, we need to provide opportunities for these kids to play and develop. And it's not about cashing in like each player shouldn't be, hey, here's a thousand dollar check that we're going to get. And then we're going to get this money from Nike and we're going to get this money from Adidas or whatever it might be. And then ultimately it becomes this pay to play system of we aren't catering to developing our athletes across the country. We are catering to developing the athletes that can afford it, that live in the right areas. And that is so sad and unfortunate for all those kids that are, are missing out on incredible opportunities because we have created a system that they can't afford to play. Um, so that that's definitely going to be like a lifelong passion, like for me to figure out how to, to really help contribute and, and solve some of those issues. Um, mm. But I think we've, we've lost our center there. And uh, I think that ultimately mm. in the long run is going to be, the biggest challenge that we face as a country on our women's side, because we're not, we're not necessarily developing our, our best talent. One thing, Ashley, we are trying to like discuss on the podcast is that as much as we are supporting women's sports and we are pushing uh, the stories of, you know, women who are involved in sport out there, we are literally also calling out for the men's support. We are not leaving them behind. Mm-hmm. We know women's support is going to win with men also, you know, opening up, you know, agreeing to the fact that we can also lead, agreeing to the fact that they will take their daughters to the training mm-hmm. sessions in whichever sport, agreeing to the fact that we need, you know, equal pay. And that is one thing we keep on celebrating when it comes to the uh, U.S. Women's National 
national team with, with the equal pay with the US men national team. So we need more stories like that to see that when we come together, regardless of gender, we are actually supporting uh, the sport. I know so many people in my country when the you know the English Premier League is going on, both men and women, uh, especially you know the, that match between Manchester United and Liverpool, um, you know Liverpool thrashing <laughs> Manchester United uh, seven nil. I know, I know. Edemos, <laughs> we we are Liverpool fans, so we were happy. And I remember I was just in the apartment block, but I would hear both. It wasn't just men's voices, but it was also women screaming, men screaming. And that's when you know the power of sport. This is what what actually sport does. And and as you said, Ashley, we cannot lose that meaning of sport bringing us together, though I know there are some elements here there who try to bring the negativity and the um, division between sides in regardless of you know, gender, race and all that. But we also need to, I think everyone needs to understand that sports is that one thing that actually brings everyone, regardless of anything, together. So I hope uh, when we head to the into the women's world cup we'll have men cheering for the teams we'll have women like everyone yeah. is welcome to you know cheer and support you know any team you can be an american and you're supporting the zambian team yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Ashley, I, 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 come come yes. support south africa absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah so actually we have zambia south africa morocco and nigeria and I know the whole continent. Unfortunately uh, for Adam and I, I'm Kenyan. Adam is Ghanaian. Our teams are not uh, in the Women's World Cup, but we are supporting all the African teams. Uh, yeah. We have our other co-host, Jabu. He's South African, so you can imagine how happy he okay. is. Because yes. his, <laughs> his country is part of the Women's World Cup. And uh, speaking of this, I know so many young ladies will also be looking forward to seeing the people behind the scenes, the coaches, and you, Ashley, you understand that because you have been part of that. So what does it take to be a good coach, Ashley? Oh, good coach. Let me start with uh, another quote from one of my, my favorite uh, idols as a kid was uh, from Magic Johnson. All players need is a little help, a little hope, and someone who believes in them. So I, I think for these these you know aspiring coaches or or you know young women that are curious about coaching, I think we just need to remember that the game is the best teacher, and as a coach, you are a facilitator, right? We need to again take in the human side of this. As a coach, we need to encourage the uniqueness of each player's personality, their background, and their skill. You need to then challenge them and nurture their development and resilience at the same time. Um, and, and still we need to, to help instill that growth mindset within them. So if we're doing those things, um, it's going to help them master any adversity that life throws them in the game and beyond. Um, I think being a coach is, is so extremely rewarding for for the impact that that you can make on people's lives um and then it's also extremely rewarding for the the growth that it drives within you um it's just fantastic i mean the the other coaches that you meet the the players that that you do inspire to be you know able to give back to the game and be in a role model position um is is one that's an honor and i think we need to remember that that it's it's not this, it's not something that anybody can step into. Um, it's a great responsibility. 
Um, but it can be a lot of fun and it opens up doors and connections to a lot of different different things. So I think if if people are curious, you know, those those young women, like check out United Soccer Coaches. You know, you'll find the support there, resources, an amazing community of coaches that would be humbled to be included as as a small part of the journey. But um I can't imagine my my life with without coaching. It's it's been phenomenal. So as we finally wrap up, Ashley, thank you so much for your words of wisdom. So what next for Ashley moving forward? Sure. So, well, first, thank you both so much. This has been amazing. I look forward to staying connected and uh, listening to to your podcast and and watching your journey evolve too, along with the game. Um, my final words of wisdom would be, you know, be you. Never lose who you are to conform to any institutional standards just to be accepted. You are special because there is only one you, and we mm. need you to bring your individuality to the table. Always keep an open mind and an open heart to be willing to listen and understand so you can collaborate and lead with others. And then when you are in the position to do so, share your platform. Bring others into this world and ask them to do the same and pay it forward when it is their time. Next for me, I just, you look, I, I enjoy my family. I embrace mm -hmm. it. My, my daughter is going to get her driver's license this month. So I'm going to, wow. going to need to be, you know, coping with that somehow and, and understanding <laughs> how to, to deal with that as a parent. Um, my son is is 14 and and he's um everything he's just amazing he's coddled too much i guess now that i say that he's everything he doesn't do any wrong right so i need to work <laughs> on my parenting for that um but for from the soccer's perspective like i'm always just behind the scenes trying to help push things forward help people um support some of these systems and processes and, and continue mm -hmm. to build the women's game Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And I will take this. Be you. Never lose who you are. That is what I'm taking uh, today from Ashley. Thank you so much, Ashley, for joining us. Your words of wisdom, your journey. We celebrate you. And thank you for literally holding other young ladies' hands and just showing them the way. Because I know that is what the world needs right now. Thank you so much, Ashley. And have a lovely time. Thank you. Appreciate being here.